Hello, and welcome to The Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's blockbuster movies, star-studded films, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Clasia, Malika, and Will, and today we're continuing our quarantine miniseries, Tackling the 250. Since we all have extra time on our hands, we're catching up on the best movies that we've never seen. We're using the IMDb Top 250 as our guide, and today we're exploring one of the handful of Bollywood movies on the list, number 248, Lagan. Once Upon a Time in India. Legan, Lego. So here's the plot summary of Lagan, according to IMDb. The people of a small village in Victorian India stake their future on a game of cricket against their ruthless British rulers. So guys, this is the first Bollywood movie we've seen. It's also, I think, the first movie in the second kind of half of the list on uh, the IMDb Top 250. It was my first time seeing it, Will's first time seeing it, but every watch from Malika, so I just want to get some first impressions. Uh, super, super long. That's <laughs> honestly the only first impression I can have. Four hours. I have talked on this podcast before about how the Irishman is way too long, and this dwarfs the Irishman. Actually, they're pretty comparable in length, but this one felt longer, so not a good sign. It's funny because I was going to say the same thing. I and mean, this is long for Bollywood movie standards. Normally, they're about three hours. This was four hours. So, so long. And I think all three of us at some point pause the movie to stretch, get a drink of water, watch another day, whatever it was. And we're surprised that there were still two hours left after watching two hours. So I'm with you. I don't remember that being something that stuck in my head the first time I saw it. Granted, it had been a while ago. I still really enjoyed parts of it. The music is amazing. I think A.R. Raymond is so great. You know, I've listened to his music on my own, like separately from watching movies. So that was my favorite part of it. But I would love to hear what you thought, Clay, since you haven't seen it either. Definitely too long because I, I agree with you. We did plan to have like an intermission partway through. And in my mind, I was like, OK, we'll watch like, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours and then pause it to have dinner and then come back. And then I thought, oh, we have to be at an hour and a half. And it was like 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so long. But like, I actually really enjoyed it. I really liked most of this movie. I love the music. I actually really love the story. Like, I think it's a really interesting tale to tell of like a, just a different take on a kind of period drama, if you will, because most period dramas I kind of find really stuffy. And I like the fact that this was focused more on the everyday people and not as much the upper class. Obviously, they were a factor in this movie, but I really like that it was about the people impacted by colonialism and, you know, this sort of manifest destiny that was pretty prevalent throughout the 18th and 19th century. So I thought that was really cool. Probably not my favorite Bollywood movie. That's still DDLJ. Shout out DDLJ. Ooh, that's such a good one, too. So good. But yeah, I actually really enjoyed this more than I thought I would. And I feel like had it been even shorter, I would be like, I really would have liked this movie. I think it definitely deserves a place on the list and I'm getting ahead. But I was like... This is a pretty epic tale, and I really liked the array of characters, the arrays of perspectives, the music, the different emotions, the comedy, the drama. I really liked how it all kind of interplayed. Did you guys have high expectations going into this movie knowing, or maybe you didn't know, that it was one of three Bollywood movies that have ever been nominated for an Oscar? I didn't know that statistic, and quite honestly, no, I didn't have high expectations. Um, but I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, that's for sure. I really like the cricket scenes, actually. I thought that those were really well done and kind of had that epic sports movie feel. And I'm kind of a sucker for sports movies. So I like that part. But yeah, I don't know. It was enjoyable, but 
I don't know if it was four hours worth of enjoyment for me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Will, especially for you, this being your first Bollywood movie ever. Maybe not the best intro to Bollywood for someone that's that's new to the genre. Yeah, and the musical scenes, I don't know. I, I'm kind of split on them. Some of them I really liked. I liked the one that was about the gods and the jealousy. But mm-hmm. the very first musical break was them singing for the rain immediately after the song is over. They're like, oh, the rain didn't come. And then I'm like, okay, well. Well, that's the drama, right? Like their whole livelihood, their ability to pay the tax, their ability to survive, to eat is dependent on the rain. And so when they see one single storm crowd, they get so excited, they burst into song. And then when it doesn't come, it's such devastation. I think like that's what sets it up and sets up the whole story. And then it kind of gets bookended with the rain at the end. So it's, I don't know, I thought there was a nice balance to it. Also, that's a fantastic song. Like that, it's such a great, Beat. I'm literally dancing to it as you start. Yeah, I like, like I can't sing, but Megha means clouds, so it's like they're singing to the clouds. It's great. I'm always going to be a fan of the music, though. Maybe if you listen to the song separately and not as like a musical number in the midst of a four-hour movie, you might have enjoyed it separately. But yeah, it is hard when you're like, wait, okay, where's the story going? And then like song break. Where's the story going? Song break. Oh my god, two hours left. Song break. You know. I get that. All right. But that kind of makes me want to like actually touch on the plot beats of this movie, considering it is four hours and there's a lot going on. I kind of want to like have an overview of everything that happened. So the narration kind of intros us to this small village. It's colonial times in India. The Victorian regime is there and you meet the colonizers and, you know, Captain Russell and his army and you meet Bhuvan and his family and you see the interactions between all the neighbors in the village and, you know, just what it all means to them not having the rain and their hardship that they've been going through, right? So we're kind of getting the stage set. And then you get Gaudi, who's clearly in love with Bhuvan. He is very oblivious, seemingly. And it's just like, I am trying to be all dramatic and pouty and take down the colonizer. I don't have time for love, you know, kind of thing. So it's pretty much mustache twirling villain in Captain Russell. Bhuvan is clearly the hero. And the king is like, hey, it's not happening. There's no rain. My villagers can't pay their taxes. What can we do? And he's like, well, you already got half your tax cut off last year. So you're going to have to eat some meat, my guy. And he's just like, but I'm a vegetarian. He's like, eat the meat. So such a dickhead. He tries to make the king eat the meat. Obviously, he's not going to do it. It's against his religion and his principles. So he then decides that they're going to pay double the tax, I believe. And that starts this whole uproar. The villagers go up to the king. They go to the colonizer. They're like, this isn't fair. And of course, Captain Russell, being the kind of frat bro of England, of colonial Victorian era, he decides, all right, if you beat me in this game, you claim it's so stupid because they were playing cricket when the villagers came, then you guys can be free of your taxes. But if we win, you have to pay triple the tax. Actually, the entire village is going to have no tax, but then the rest of you also have to pay triple the tax. And I'm like... I also didn't understand that whole scene of him upping the stakes. Bhuvan said nothing. He's like, all right, all right. Let me up the stakes one more again. And he's like, okay, all right. One more again. I'm like, everyone's yeah, like. Betting against yourself. Well, no, but he was sweetening the pot too, though, right? He was saying, oh, yeah. okay, you don't have to pay for one year. You don't have to pay for two years. You don't have to pay for three years. And the triple the tax is always on the other side. Oh, yeah. So, Which makes sense. But then the other British officers were also like, my guy, what are you doing? <laughs> That's a really stupid bet and chance to take. So that kind of sets into motion this whole event. And so the British rulers are like, hey, Russell, if you mess up, you're off to Africa. This is your 
pretty much her last chance. Uh, Captain Russell's sister, Elizabeth, is there and she feels her brother is being unfair. So she ends up helping the villagers learn cricket so they can defeat them and falls in love with Buvan. All while this is happening, Gauri is falling deeper in love with Buvan. Buvan is trying to corral all of the villagers and even other people from other villages who I thought was really cool. And they kind of create this sort of nationalistic sentiment all across the board. And they come together against all odds. They beat the colonizers down with white guys. Haha, <laughs> for our troll. That's for you. But yeah, they beat the British army and it starts to rain. It's beautiful. That's the movie. There was so much going on, though. There were so many other subplots that I haven't even touched on. But like the main core of the movie, I thought was really, really good. Like this is a great idea. Like imagine the stakes of your freedom is in this scrappy underdog team beating the colonizers at cricket. Like that's a really great idea. Like I can totally see why this was made into a movie. So I feel like I just have to bring up the longest yard. (laughs) I feel like the like plot beats that you mentioned are very similar to the longest yard. Like the main guy who in Lagan is Bovin in the longest yard. It's Paul crew. He gets into some sort of wagering conflict and he has to bring together a ragtag group to fight this oppressor to them. One, it's the prison guards. The other, it's the British colonizers, but it's a very similar storyline. But you could say that about every sports movie. I mean, maybe not the (laughs) oppressor part of it, but like the scrappy underdogs, like defeating the evil team. No, 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 I'm not either. I'm just saying that like that's a theme that you find in so many sports movies. And this in so many ways is just a sports movie wrapped up in a lot of like history. Sure. What this is, is a historical epic that spans four hours. And then within the last hour and a half is a sports movie contained within the historical epic. That's why it's so long. It's because it's... There's a montage early on. Come yeah, on. There's some sports training. elements earlier. At least in like hour no, two. That was, I think yeah. I... That's part of the like hour and a half. Uh, no. Oh, I see. They're yeah. learning about cricket by the midway point. Okay. Because Elizabeth's Halfway already in the movie. Is when I sent you guys that picture of my TV <laughs> where I just so happened to pause it exactly in the middle. That was pretty sweet. But... That was like right when Elizabeth was starting to teach them the rules of cricket. Yeah. So, so in the and first they half. weren't even like getting <laughs> into the cricket part of it. She was just introducing them to the rules. Yeah. But I think before that, Buvan was trying to at least like be like, hey, cricket, True. this is like that game we played That's when we fair. were kids. Like there was like some cricket in the beginning. But the sports movie part yeah. comes a little yeah. later. If this, was a, if this movie were a tale of two halves, the first half is definitely the epic period drama with the romance underlying and the setting up the love triangle. And then the second half is this scrappy group of underdogs. Can they actually do it? By God, right. they can, you know, kind of thing. And then there's also love, I guess, at the end too. And that also is a very Bollywood thing. Like, because when you see movies in the theater, a lot of times there is that intermission. The first half and the second half usually have different vibes to them. And so you can very much mm. feel that in this movie uh, based on what you guys did too. Makes a lot of sense though. I was going to say earlier, I almost wish this was the third or fourth Bollywood movie I had seen instead of the first because I feel like I needed some additional Bollywood context in order to properly have a view on this movie. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, it definitely does because there's so many things that I recognize just as like, oh, that's a Bollywood thing. Just the way, like, since you've seen so many Scorsese movies, you're like, that's Scorsese, baby. And I can say that, like, that's Bollywood, baby. I can say that. But like you, someone who hasn't seen that many and Clay, have you seen like a handful? Yeah, it's a little harder to pick those out. At least a couple dozen. Oh, so you've seen quite a few and you've seen some classics like DDLJ is such a classic. And Monsoon Uh, Wedding. What up? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I wouldn't call that Bollywood. Sorry. Mm. I know. It's kind of just like a hot mess, but I love it anyway. <laughs> but you know what's funny about DDLJ, though, Clay, I wanted to tell you is that Shah Rukh Khan and Kajal, who star in that movie, were apparently up for roles in this one for Gauri and Bhuvan. Honestly, oh. though, there I was reading a lot of fun facts for this, and I don't trust half of them. So I'm not really sure if that was true, but I did read that somewhere on the interwebs. <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt. Interesting. But I, that actually brings me to something I did want to talk about, which is Amir Khan and him, you know, essentially being like the biggest movie star in the world. Like just because in America people might not know who he is, that doesn't change the fact that he is like on paper one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So a lot of the power behind this movie is him, right? Like this is the height I would say of like, maybe not his career, but like he's probably like peak sexual, you know, kind of, I had my best friend made it very clear. This is part of her sexual awakening, seeing shirtless Amir Khan in this movie. And I was like, well, that's a lot. And she's like, yeah, super uncomfortable watching with my parents. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, it was like 2001. He was, he was hot shit. He still is hot shit. So still hot shit. Yeah. Yeah. So like he's, clearly the fulcrum of this movie right and i don't know if it would have worked without him like i mean to will's point i'm not very educated in all of bollywood either so i can't say oh who would have been a better casting choice but i feel like the movie is so centered around him and his performance and what he brings to the table that like who else would have no he's Bhuvan. that's it yeah i agree with you guys he did such a good job and he's known for having these serious movies and he only does i think like one a year max, like he, which is a lot for American Sanders, but not for Bollywood Sanders and other actors that are huge, um, similarly huge, like Shah Rukh Khan do a lot more. They're more about the volume. They're more prolific. And so, yeah, I think Amir definitely takes a lot more interest in the producing of the movie and the research and making sure that what he's being attached to is something that he can be proud of. Yeah, I'm totally with you that I couldn't imagine this movie with anybody else. He really sold it. And same for Gauri. I, I read also that so many big movie stars were lined up for her, but they ended up going with an actress that was only known for her TV roles. And so she kind of, you know, was really sweet and cute and like did such a good job. And I loved the way that she played the role and I wouldn't have wanted either of them to be recast. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought Gowry was really good. She was probably my favorite performance other than Guran. Yeah. He was my favorite uh, character, yeah. but that was something when he was I hamming was, it up. He was hamming <laughs> he was it up up there. Like it was hilarious. When they talk about chewing the scenery, that was exactly true. he was chewing the scenery. But that was something while I was watching, I was looking up Amir Khan, like his Wikipedia and stuff, just because seeing his name in the opening credits, I was like, I know that name from somewhere. I've heard that name before, but I don't know where. When I looked him up, I didn't really know who he was, but. I had heard the name, so I was interested in reading more. And I had no idea like how big he was, is, currently is, as an actor. Newsweek was saying he's the most famous actor in the world. He was on some list of like top 25 most influential Muslims in the world. Like a bunch of this stuff, huge net worth that 
it's just crazy to me. It's such a, you know, classic American centric view, but that I don't even really know or have ever really heard of this person who is so influential worldwide. It was really kind of like a, oh shit moment. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, this movie apparently was one of the first Bollywood movies to open in China. And then Amir Khan became a huge star there. And so that skyrockets your your fame if you're big in China. There's so many people there. So That's what his Wikipedia um, said. Super big in India and China. Yeah, India, obviously. But yeah. China is second. But I have to relook at the IMDb 250 again. But I believe that most of the Bollywood movies are actually his or a majority are, hmm. which says something, too. I know I saw three idiots on our list, but I'm not talking about the three of us. I'm talking <laughs> about the movie. Um, and it's I have to look at it again podcast. to see what, what others. But that, that says something right there. That's a good point. Malika, have you thought any more about your favorite quote or favorite scene in all this time we've been chatting? <laughs> Yeah, so this movie didn't quite get me to cry on this rewatch, probably because I knew it was going to happen. Um, but every time Katra was on the screen, I got really emotional. Less so when Amir Khan goes into his like long speech, but just like the tears in his eyes, like feeling appreciated, being given a chance was really sweet. And then later on in the movie, when he's actually up to, is it called batting? What do you do in cricket? You do bat. batting. And bowl is the... But he didn't bowl. He was batting. Yeah. The bowling was great. Like he knew what he had to do. But when he was up to bat, you know, he has a crippled hand. Like it's hard to hit that ball very far. And just like the emotion and how everybody just was like, come on, you can do it. I don't know. That got me again. Both those scenes were really touching. Yeah. My favorite scene was the last bowl because one, at first I thought that once again, this is based off of my limited knowledge of Bollywood, but I was thinking maybe the ending was going to be that uh, Katra was going to hit the full home run, but cricket. <laughs> yeah. And I was prepared for the super cheesy ending of the cripple hitting the home run and winning the game. And then he doesn't. And I was like, Oh wow, that didn't happen. And then you know, it got, me, yeah, it got me with the essential do-over because he stepped over the line. And then it got me again when <laughs> yeah. Bubbin hit the home run and then they caught it. And I was like, wait, what? They lost? <laughs> and then, of course, they didn't lose. He was standing out of bounds. But I was like, okay, they actually got me pretty good there. And I did get a little bit of the sports movie goosebumps. That's my measure of the goosebumps. Uh, yeah, and that's movie. what you say is the sign of a good sports movie. So there you go. I completely agree. I love both of those scenes so, so much. Yeah, that's very Bollywood. Like, the hero has to be the hero, right? right. They can't let someone else besides Amir Khan save the day. It has to be Amir Khan. It's probably in his contract. Something yeah, I really probably. liked about the movie was... I feel the collective, like all the team members, they were also like supportive of each other. And once Bovan abolished the cast system in five minutes, <laughs> then they were like all on the same page. And just takes one speech, just exactly. one speech, one rousing speech With for like hundreds of thousands eyes. of yeah. years of discrimination. Abolished. Done. It's Amazing. over. Like, all right. Yep. We're on the same page now. Got it. But once that happened, they were all like supportive. And except for, of course, when. Gosh, I'm butchering all these names I know. Laka, is that his name? Yeah, Laka. Yeah, the yeah. guy that betrayed them. You know, they gave him a chance to redeem himself, and he did it. So 
They would have oh. torn him apart otherwise. Like <laughs> he, he had to save his life and he would have been down a player to be honest. Yeah, true. Honestly, I think that's what was running through his mind. He's like, I need an 11th guy. <laughs> like you've got one chance. Don't mess us up. All right. You guys picked great favorite scenes and my favorite scene is so the opposite of that. It's actually in the earlier part of the movie where the king goes to Captain Russell to like beg for the villagers to not have to pay the tax this year. And you already know that Captain Russell's a dickhead, right? Like you saw him hunting the deer and shooting the deer. And then he gives his little villain speech to Bavon. It's like, next time I'm going to shoot you kind of thing. So you're like, all right, this guy's clearly a dickhead. But then I feel like it took it to a new level when he tries to make the king eat meat, even though the king is vegetarian. Like, even as someone who has not grown up vegetarian, who's not a vegetarian, I was like, that is wrong. Like, what? Like, cartoonishly that evil is, is how I would yeah, describe it. Yeah, it's like it. he should have been twirling the mustache at that point. And then obviously it sets the stage because Elizabeth, the sister, is there and she's just like taking him back. And she's like, no, she's trying to get him to back down. But it's clear like he has this in his mind. Like, you need to submit to me in order for me to give you any sort of, you know, leeway. And the fact that the king doesn't is actually, I would say... A pretty proud moment like obviously it kind of screws the villagers and it puts them in the position where they end up going back to the king and to captain russell to try to negotiate but i think the villagers respected the king more in the end because he didn't bow down to captain russell and if he had obviously they wouldn't have had to pay the taxes but if they'd found out i feel like that would have been even more deeply disruptive to their sense of pride and like we're basically letting the colonizers do whatever they want. So I thought that was a cool moment. That was one of my first thoughts as well when watching the movie was, all right, respect. Didn't bow down to this guy bullying you, making you eat meat when it was against. And this is coming from me, an avid meat eater. The man is from Nebraska, Omaha In steaks. Fact, <laughs> I don't eat vegetables. No, I will. Well, if eat I a vegetable. Do we have to call your but mom? I was like, respect, stick into your morals. Even when this cartoonishly evil guy with the eyebrows and the mustache twirling is trying to, you know, take advantage of you. So I like that about it as well. That was a good scene. So I am a lifelong vegetarian, never eaten meat. And it's funny because I had a slightly different take than you guys. Like I get the scene. Yes, he's not bowing down. He's refusing. And they're setting that up to make Captain Russell look like the ultimate asshole, right? But I was like, oh, man, if I were in that position and all of these people who relied on me just required me to take a tiny bite of me, sacrifice myself in this moment and save them so much hardship, would I do it? And I think I would. I mean, I've never been put in that position. I hope I'm never in that position. But I almost saw that as a sign of self-preservation hmm. and a little bit of selfishness on the king's part. Obviously, that's not what you guys saw. So that might have just been me and some negative headspace while watching that scene. But I definitely, I was judging him. Malika, <laughs> the king was playing the long con. He knew they were going to get into the situation with Boven where they were going to wager no taxes and that they were going to win. So he was like, you know what? Let's stick this one out, wagering the long gun. Right. No, that's, that's why you try to talk Boven out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> the king is a mastermind. No, he orchestrated a, the whole thing. That's an interesting perspective. That is an interesting perspective. Yeah, because I mean, like with me and Will never having been vegetarians, it's easier, I guess, to imagine of the opposite side of that, of just being like, it could also just be the American in us, but why should I change anything about my beliefs and the way that I live my life to suit your whims? Because it wasn't even like, like, I feel like the king would have consented if it was like an, like a, there was a reasonable reason for the request or I don't know. I just feel like the whole situation was very clearly this guy was trying to dominate you and dominate your people. 
And I think that King, to your point, probably was being a little selfish and self-preservation, but I thought it was more of like, we've already let you have so much. Why should I let you have this too? I mean, maybe because I grew up watching Fear Factor. I was like, just eat the bull <laughs> testicles. You'll get eat the money. The <laughs> you know, eat just it. a moment of disgusting meat in your mouth Honestly, and you'll get you, the though. prize. You know, I would have survived the shit out of that show. Like, pour those spiders on me. I don't care. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Oh, no. I want to get into like some favorite quotes because I really liked the more comedic elements of this movie. And my favorite quote is one of those. It's um kind of towards the end where... Gaudi is like all jealous and upset with Bouvan. So she tells him that she'll never speak to him again. And he realizes that, you know, okay, I got to set the record straight. Like, I know that she's in love with me, but she doesn't know that I know and that I also reciprocate her feelings. So he kind of tracks her down and he recalls a moment where I think it was Gaudi going to Gudan, getting her fortune told. And he tells her, oh, you're going to find your love and it's going to have this tree, the front yard. And she tells Bouvan right away and he kind of just like plays it off like, what? Okay, whatever. And then he comes back later in the movie to be like, hey, Gaudi, there's only one house in the village with a neem tree in the yard. There's also a big field beside it. There's some chickens, two cows, three goats. And he just repeats back everything that she said to him. And A, I love it because it's comedic and it's clearly like he's trying to use humor to like lower her defenses because she's very upset. But I love the fact that he clearly remembers exactly what she said to him and is repeating it back to show that he listened, even though at the time it did not seem like he was paying attention to her. So, I mean, it's a little weird because it's almost like negging. He's like, oh, I was listening. Ha ha. But <laughs> I really just love that it shows that she was trying so hard and she didn't really have to. Like he always had her affection and he was maybe distracted by some other things like cricket and trying to be this kind of rallying cry for the village. But she was always near and dear to him. So I love that he took the time to be like, all right, I got to go make sure that my girl's all right. Have her a little <laughs> moment. La, la, la. <laughs> yeah. My thought was at the very beginning when she first went to Bavon about the fortune and I was just thinking... Wouldn't he know right away that she is just exactly describing his house? So I did like that. It tied back in the end. Yeah, they were flirting. Yeah. yeah. That's Indian flirting but back he, in the day. But he didn't even give any indication that he knew what she was going on about. He was just staring off into the distance. Yeah. And then he got mad at her because she was like, oh, I was supposed to tell you that your mom is asking about. And he was like, what? You didn't tell me. <laughs> like he clearly was playing it off as if he was like his head was elsewhere in the earlier scene. So I thought that was really funny that he quoted back exactly the fortune that she told him. Yeah. And then it made for a great scene. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I'd say my favorite quote is more of an ironic favorite. But when Elizabeth is talking to Bovin and she's like, I have to tell you something. And then she has her little aside in English. She says, I love you. No, don't say it. Don't say it. Then she turns to him in English, says, I love you. And then runs away. Like, <laughs> I am in love. Yes. Oh, my God. So it All wasn't right, so just the land that was thirsty, huh? that actually connects to one of the most ridiculous parts of the movie which is elizabeth learning hindi in like one day like she went from literally needing a translator and not understanding anything to coming back the next day to being like hi how how are you how's it going how's your mom like i was like wait how did you learn all these words like it's not even just the vocabulary it's the grammar it's the context like what (laughs) 
Yeah, and for a privileged woman, she, and I think she's supposed to be like 19 years old or something, very young. She feels very, very comfortable like traveling through the village at night, like back and forth, all horseback, by herself. By like, right. That she's just like super comfortable after a day. Oh, wait, before we go into how she learned Hindi so quickly, how and why did Captain Russell give them three months to learn cricket? Like, the time spent with a back and forth, like, say, okay, we're playing tomorrow. Then you would have won, Captain Russell. Yeah, you're giving them the opportunity. My, oh my God. It was just like, none of his choices made any sense. So I think that is the one part of the movie that probably detracts from my overall enjoyment of it was that he was such a, like, one-sided villain and like I thought at one point they were going to show another dimension to him like maybe in the interactions with him and Elizabeth because it was like okay he cares about his sister like there was nothing to him he was just a guy that liked cricket and liked fucking with people which honestly it's fair some people are like that but he had so much screen time that it made for a very uninteresting antagonist to this whole thing but one thing I did want to ask about Malika, I don't know if you actually know this, but was it that common for the high-ranking British officers to like learn the local language? Because I thought it was really interesting that they all spoke the language. Like obviously they had terrible accents, but <laughs> I think that was a choice because this is a Bollywood movie. I don't okay. know if they did and to what degree of success they would have. You know, Hindi is a difficult language to learn. Yeah. It has its own script. It's part of the Indo-European language family. And there are some words that like sound familiar, but it's very, very different, right? It's not like learning a romance language. Yeah. And so I don't know historically what percentage of British officers actually care to do that. They probably would have just hired Indians who spoke English to come and just translate for them or like, you yeah. know, have people speak to them in English if they needed to. But that was 100% a choice because this is a Hindi movie. And it is a movie where it's all about national pride. And so the white man, the British, the oppressors are evil. They're one-sided, right? If you gave him more of a personality, you're taking away from the national pride of India somehow. That's a good point. I know that's very dramatic, but that's sort of like, it's all tied together. And I think what makes this movie so great is that that's so difficult to do. You're playing in the sandbox where there's so many, like people died, people were hurt, bad things happened during the British Empire. I mean, great things happened too, schools, roads, all that, but bad things also happen. And when you're trying to tell a story and they call it once upon a time in India and you're trying to like talk about that time, you have to be pretty delicate. And I thought they did a really good job playing in that sandbox. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there were probably times where they're like, the whites, we must crush the whites, where it's like a little too much for me. But, you know, it was well done, I thought. Yeah, I think so. I think also having Captain Russell in particular speak the language made him a lot more menacing because they didn't even have the luxury of speaking in their own language to get away from them. So I thought that was a good choice in that it kind of made it clear how oppressive and how just overwhelming the British influence was in that they didn't even have the privacy to speak amongst themselves and not be understood by the British. They were also obviously goading them and and talking down to them in their own language, which I feel like probably has to hurt even more in some ways than them speaking English. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like we took your grain, we took your land and and we're even stealing your language. Yeah, There's so much pride associated with language because like each state has its own language and it's about your culture. Um, So yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. So side note, Malika, do you have a favorite quote? So it's hard for me to pick a favorite quote. Um, Can I pick a second favorite scene? You absolutely can. 
My second favorite scene is this tiny little moment where Bhuvan like falls and skins his arm and Gauri like runs to his side yeah. and his dad just gives us like knowing look. I'm like, dude, you just realized like their love song happened an hour ago in this movie. Like it's been days, possibly weeks. Yes. <laughs> Since they like declare their love. So it was just, it was really funny. It was like those tiny little comedic moments like helped move this movie along. Otherwise it would have been a lot more dragging. So I think this was a really fun one. Obviously it's something that I think most of our listening audience, whoever's out there probably (laughs) haven't seen, but I really enjoyed seeing a movie a little bit out of my comfort zone. I thought this was a really enjoyable film. Obviously I would not rewatch it, clocking it almost four hours, but the fact that it won an Oscar, it's not that surprising to it me. It didn't win. It was nominated. <gasps> yeah, yeah. It lost to Amelie. Oh, I do love Amelie. And it was I best foreign Amelie. movie, just to be yes, fair. I know. But still, I do love yeah, Amelie. I mean, that's still a big deal. <laughs> and the other ones were like much earlier, I think like in the 60s. Yeah, there's still a very much, um, I would say, Western tilt even to the best foreign nominations. With Japan being the exclusion, I would say they're probably the filmmaking country in Asia that gets a similar amount of respect to Hollywood and that it's just so long and so storied, but that's still a pretty great achievement being nominated for best foreign film for that year. Yeah. So just want to wrap up. What are you guys' final thoughts on the movie? I personally enjoyed it. I think it deserves its place around 248. That's kind of where it's been hovering. And I would recommend this to someone that has maybe seen a few other Bollywood movies, kind of like what was saying, but not their first Bollywood movie. Yeah. I always appreciate seeing new types of movies that I haven't seen before. I'm glad I took the time to watch it. It was my first Bollywood movie. It wasn't that hard to get through. Obviously, I took some breaks. Like, time-wise, it was hard to get through. But as far as, like, the actual content of the movie, it was enjoyable. And I think it deserves a spot in the top 250 just because it is one of the legendary Bollywood movies. And that is such a huge market for film outside the United States that it would seem a little misrepresentative to not have any Bollywood movie in the top 250. And if you're going to have one from what I've read in my understanding, just listening like Malika, you said only three Bollywood movies have been nominated. It -hmm. does feel like an appropriate choice to be in that top 250. So I think it deserves a spot there and it just snuck in. So, you know, if you're looking for a Bollywood movie to watch that you've never seen, I don't think it's a bad one to do for the first time if you have four hours to burn. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's a lot of movie. I stopped not because I was like, oh, this is boring. I stopped because I had other things to do. I had to go to bed or I had to go to a meeting, whatever it was. It's not like I was like, oh, why is it? I was just surprised that the movie was still had so much left. And even at the end, like even after they win the game, there's still a good like 25 minutes where they're like wrapping everything up. And you're like, wow, there's a lot of movie here. I don't know how I feel about it being on the 250 only because there's so many other Bollywood movies that I love more than this one. The problem with some of those is that they're not as serious and they're not about national pride. And so they probably wouldn't make this list. Yeah. I don't know. This is is tough for me. Is this like the kind of instance where we've talked about how the IMDb list is a little too drama centric and doesn't really have room for other types of movies. So while it's a great movie in many respects, there are other movies that are maybe underserved by these types of lists. Would you say that's fair? 
I would say that's fair. And I also want to say that there's a lot of movies on this list that I like, but do I think that they're worth being on this list? No. Like I'm just, again, looking at the list and like Gone Girl, great movie, best 250 in the world. If we're talking international movies, then probably not, you know? Same with Fortress Ferrari, a movie that we did a podcast on earlier this oh, that's fall. Like, definitely should not be on the same list. Same thing. So <laughs> it's hard for me to like really place whether the movie should be on this list or where it is because like, I don't know if it's necessarily to agree with the whole list, but it is a great list to work off of. And <laughs> it definitely has gotten me to watch movies that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise. Yeah. That's a really great way to summarize it. All right. Well, I think that's it for Lagan. We're your host, Clacia, Malika and Will wrapping up yet another what, what? episode of our quarantine mini series, tackling the two fifty. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, you can follow us at CynicalPod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow our amazing sound producer, a.k.a. my boyfriend, Aaron, at ak.audio on Insta. Uh, so, yeah, check us out. Review us. Uh, become a hater. Don't become a hater. That's great, too. Just leave <laughs> us some sort of rating. Until next time, have a good time. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> have a good time. Bye. 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 I am in love.